Hi, this is Dr. Phil, the Body Whisperer, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 140 of Chasing Dreams. Today's episode is sponsored by our Patreon campaign supporters. Thank you to all of our supporters for your support, donations. It means the world to me. You guys are rock stars. If you'd like to donate any amount, even if it's just a dollar a month to help keep the show going, you can do so over at amyj21.com slash Patreon. As of this recording, the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. In honor and recognition of Mental Health Awareness Month, I have an amazing dream chaser to introduce to you guys today. Dr. Phyllis Hubbard is the director of BMA Health and Healing Strategies, an innovative wellness program founded in Oakland and functioning within the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. Dr. Phil, also known as the Body Whisperer, is a motivational speaker, board-certified doctor of natural medicine, an Ayurvedic practitioner, life and mental health coach, Ji Yong instructor, Reiki master and licensed massage therapist. It's almost like there's nothing she cannot do. Dr. Phil's straightforward and humorous presentations blend ancient holistic wisdom with cutting edge research in a way that is fun and easy to understand. And that guy is exactly why I wanted her on the show today. She is also the executive producer, residential health guru of the Journey to Radiance podcast and webisode series for the campaign for Black Male Achievement, which is available at cbma.org and iTunes. Don't worry, all the links will be on the show notes page. So we had such a fun conversation and I learned a lot about mental health just from listening to her. She broke things down so that it was easy to understand. Just like I said, she's very good at that. And that's why I wanted her on the show. And so without further ado, here it goes. Hey, Dr. Phil, how's it going? It's going great. It's so exciting to hear your voice. Thank it, you for having me. It has been too long and, you know, we're rectifying that afterwards. We've already come across that, but I got to tell you, I was so grateful when you said yes to come on the show and I'm not sure I actually told you why I wanted you on the show, but for you guys listening out there, Phyllis and I met last year at Podcast Movement uh, through, again, a great friend, Stephen Hart friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of ours, uh, who brought us together. And it was in our first interaction that I was like, we're going to be friends. And not just that. I knew then I wanted you on the show for Mental Health Awareness Month. Wow. Yes. Wow. I never told you that. No, you never did. But there was no way I would say no to you. You are just (laughs) wonderful and fabulous. So how could I say no? (laughs) This is what you did. (laughs) We were going to dinner. And we were walking down uh, the street. It was beautiful weather, Anaheim, gorgeous, right? Yes. And we were having a conversation and we were talking and I said something about how, I can't remember the exact words. I think I was being hard on myself and I said something negative. Like, 
I just need to, to, I have all these faults. And you said, now, Amy, that's not the way to say it. And that's not the way to think about it. And you (laughs) flipped it and said, I have some more stuff I need to work on. Yeah. You flipped it entirely. And I was like, how did she just take that whole negative thought I had? I think I was being hard on myself. And you were just, you flipped it. And I was like, oh, I do. That's not so bad. Right. Right. And that stuck with me. Thank you. I, I'm really grateful that it did because I know sometimes I, I do that to people and they just, you know, they, they stay within that kind of self-deprecating, you know, uh, way of being. And I fight it because words are very, very powerful. And what we say to and about ourselves, uh, you know, oftentimes in a joking fashion, we don't realize we, we are actually giving power to that um, and, and kind of bringing us down in, in subconscious ways. So, uh, so thank you for receiving it and, uh, you know, better than do that again around me. <laughs> and guys, that was actually how she followed up that conversation in California just now. That's exactly it. You, and it wasn't verbatim, but essentially, yeah, you summed it up, you explained it and why. And I was like, oh, we need to have you on the show to talk about this. Cause I've, I've been a big, I've talked about it. I'm not saying I'm a strong proponent of it because I haven't been active as others, but I think mental health is something that has grown with me in the sense of, I've seen it in my community, the young, the old, in my family, how not having these conversations and not kind of looking into it has probably harmed us more than it should. And, you know, when you had that conversation, I was like, that was it, that that was the moment I was like, Phyllis has to be on the show. We have to have a conversation because also I wanted to talk more about why did you become a naturopathic doctor? Mm, wow. Well, it's interesting when, when people ask me that question, I usually go right into how I reversed uh, an illness. And, but I don't usually talk about the part that came before that, which is directly connected to this show. So I'm going to just go into the whole thing sure. um, and, and share. Yes. Um, when I was a child, I had the great misfortune of accidentally walking in on a brutal uh, attack of a little girl. Uh, she was being raped at the time. And oh I was my. about seven years old and the little girl was like five. And uh, it was just devastating the the, the sight of the incident literally and immediately took my breath away. And I realize now that I must have had a mild asthma attack. And um, that was the last time that I remember breathing normally. It was really interesting. And I remember very well, um, you know, seeking for someone that could help, you know, running and trying to find help and not being able to speak because I was, you know, breathless and, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, it was, the whole thing was crazy. Um, and that year I developed, uh, bronchitis and I continued to get it every single year. It became progressively worse and was eventually labeled COPD for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And this went on for 27 years. And I remember in my twenties realizing that I was 
physically dying, physically slipping away. And if no one's ever had that experience, it's very difficult to explain what it's like to know that you're just not going to be here much longer. And that was really difficult for me to accept because I'm in my 20s. I'm like, I don't even know who I am. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. It was just really awful. And so um, I didn't know what to do. But I had a realization that I had to take a look at what I was doing. Uh, I was taking uh, medication and the doctors told me that I was going to get asthma and then emphysema and I was just going to get progressively worse. And I'm like, this is crazy. This cannot be true. And so, you know, I realized that every year the disease would come back worse and I would get stronger medication. So either I was going to have medication that was so strong that that would kill me or I'd cough myself to death. So I'm like, okay, something else. Um, so I began to research other ways to try and stop this cough. And I found a book in the bookstore that was fascinating to me. And it was on an ancient practice from India called Ayurveda. And it was fascinating to me. And I thought, this is, this is incredible. It offered a pathway to healing that was so foreign, but somehow made some real sense deep within my soul. And I began to practice the strategies within Ayurveda. And three months later, the cough stopped, never returned. And that was the end of my COPD story, you know, and, and it was so abrupt that I was like, wait a minute, I, what everything I thought I knew about health and, and the body and my life, the whole bit, it, it just all got flipped upside down. And uh, after a while, I just uh, I just couldn't keep my job as a corporate person anymore. So I began to study Ayurveda and I became a naturopathic doctor, started to teach Qigong, you know, the whole bit so that I could really guide people on their paths to radiant health. And, and that's uh, how I got here today. And along with that, and one of the reasons, um, this is month, Mental Health Awareness Month. It is May when this airs, depending on when you guys listen. But this is May. Um, it's an important month. And, you know, in talking about mental health, I thought you would be a great person to kind of bring on the show to kind of clear up confusions or just an under, provide an understanding of what mental health is and probably why there's a yes. stigma around it, why people don't want to talk about it. So can we kind of go back to basics and yeah. just ask yeah. What is mental health? Yes. Um, you know, and, and as I get ready to answer that question for you, I, I want to just share a quick footnote on what I said earlier and say that, you know, what was so fascinating to me about both Ayurveda and naturopathy was how integrated it was. It's, you know, it's deeply rooted in psychology and life skills and anatomy and the therapeutic use of food and herbs and movement. And I've never experienced experienced anything that was that integrated. And when we're talking about mental health, I think it's important for us to see that mental health is not separate from all other aspects of health. But if we want a definition, uh, mental health can be described as the well-being of our psychological, emotional, and social selves. So it encompasses uh, how we think and feel and act and determines how we will behave when triggered, say, for example, by stress or by the actions of others. Uh, so just like you have physical health representing health of the body, mental health is about the health of your mind. You know, and, and it requires uh, the same level of care. So, you know, if I have a a, uh, a weak arm, you know, it's looking all kind of flabby, you know, you wave and you get the bye-byes. 
if I have that and I want to change that, mm-hmm. I need to get down and do some push-ups, right? I right. got to do push-ups, right? So then what would be the equivalent to the training and the push-ups to maintain the health of your mind? And this is something that we don't think about. No, I'm, I'm trying to think now. Taking breaks? Yeah, see, that's that's the challenge. We don't, we, when I ask that question, we should know down cold what we do. What is it that we do to cultivate the health of our mind? I have a friend who is a, a cognitive behavioral therapist, and we used to do talks together all the time. And mm-hmm. she had this great analogy that I loved. And she said, you know, think about a car. How many parts are there in a car? A couple hundred, like a couple hundred parts. If you do everything right, you get your oil change when you're supposed to, you know, you rotate the tires, the whole bit. Will you run into trouble with that car? No. So think about time passing, Mm -hmm. right? Time passes, years go by, the car gets older and you're still doing what you're supposed to do, right? Still doing what you're supposed to do. But think about it. Will at some point the car have some issues? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, okay. So hold that thought. And now let's go to our minds. If we just let our minds run amok, right? Taking in all the, you know, stimulus that is coming in from the news and the whole bit, and we never cultivate the mind. We never take a look at what we're thinking or ask why we're thinking it, right? Is this thought in my head even mine or did I pick it up, right? From somewhere. What do you think would happen over time? Problems. Big time, big time problems. But does that mean that you um, have a major mental issue or does it mean that you just maybe need to do some house cleaning within your own mind? Wow. I guess, I guess it depends. Yeah. So how do you know? You have to bring a level of awareness, right? And most of us really kind of snowball in our thoughts. And so I love this question that you have for me around the stigma and why is there a stigma around mental health? So I'm going to share a couple of ideas that I have uh, just, you know, just in the work that I have, the research that I've done and just the work that I've done with my clients. It's very interesting that the stigma has developed over time Mm -hmm. and that a stigma can emerge out of a culture that has moved so far away from itself that it no longer knows how to naturally be. So I'm going to give you an example of that. Okay. Uh, Okay. So although we have, let's say we can have up to about 60,000 thoughts per day and they are mostly the same thoughts as the day before, right? But 80% of those thoughts are negative. Right. So where do these regurgitated negative thoughts come from? And when was the last time we asked ourselves the question? <laughs> I never asked myself the question. Exactly. <laughs> that just the challenge. So think about this. We are bombarded daily with negative images, disempowering messages, faulty thinking, and misconceptions. Some of these messages are by design to just manipulate you into thinking that you are less than just so I can sell you a product on television, right? So some of it is is very deliberate. And then others, is, it's, just, it's just out there, right? If you pay attention to popular culture, you will soon realize that we are continually socialized to not feel pain and to avoid pain at all costs 
right? We tend to avoid feeling pain in front of others, and we don't know how to comfort people who are in pain. Uh, even when devastating events happen, we're socialized to get over it, you know, as quickly as possible. And so without a counter strategy, depression or suicidal thoughts, or, you know, or, you know, any level of, of mental um, challenges are bound to happen almost by default, right? And if you add trauma and stress to the mix, well, there you go, we've sealed the deal. So I'm going to ask you, have you ever heard these comments before? Okay. Okay. Oh man, I had a rough day. I need a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, have you ever heard a parent say this to a child? Oh honey, I'm so sorry. You didn't make the team here. Let's get some ice cream. Sure. Right. Or, oh man, I got a headache. Do you have an aspirin? Right. Right. These very, 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 very common. So let me just break a little bit of that down to you. The challenge with these comments is that they're glamorized and they're perpetuated in mass media, right? They set us up to avoid directly addressing and processing a situation by developing and sustaining a disempowering habit of anesthetizing ourselves, right? So the reality is, you know, what happens after the drink, right? What happens after the ice cream? What happens after the the aspirin wears off? Right. Because at some point you're going to have to face the issue or do you just keep eating ice cream? Right. Right. So how long can we avoid and suppress how we truly feel with temporary fixes that do not address the actual problem? So I'm going to give you an example with the headache. Let's just say and it drives me. It's just maddening to me where people are like I have a headache. Give me an aspirin. I'm like, here's the problem with that. A person could have a headache because of a wide array of reasons. It could be dehydration, lack of oxygen, poor circulation, toxins in the colon, hypoglycemia. I could go on and on and on. None of those can be solved by taking an aspirin. So our kind of mindless way of saying, you know what? I have a headache. Let me just grab an aspirin, right? We're anesthetizing ourselves without even asking the question. Aspirin is a solution that we've trained ourselves to blindly run to by default, right? Almost and all like of that's the only solution. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We did, and, 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 you know, we've, we've become almost zombies in that. Right. So all of this and more contributes to this stigma around even having conversations and discussions about mental health, because I just give me aspirin real quick. Let me just numb this pain because I don't even want people to know that I have a headache because I want to prove that I'm such a, a great hard worker and this headache's not going to slow me down. <laughs> right. You know, it's amazing. So I'm trying to get people to just stop just just for a second. Whatever the situation is, you know, what if that parent said to the child, you know, I'm really sorry that you didn't make the team. And you know what? Sometimes you're not going to get everything that you want. Right. Sometimes you can be the best person and not get the job. I mean, this is this is a part of life. So talk to me about how you're feeling about it, you know, and let that let the child actually understand that. Yeah, actually this this is this is the deal. This is this is real life. And then after the child has had the the opportunity to express, now let's go play, let's go enjoy ourselves, let's have fun so you know that life is ups and downs, right? It's an ebb and flow. So Phyllis, let me ask you something about you, when you prefaced what you were saying, it, it it hit me when you were talking about the car, when you were talking about um you know, the things that happen to us as we get older, as we try to take care of ourselves, you saying almost that it's, it's understandable. It's almost normal. It's, it's expected for us to 
encounter these issues, these feelings, depression, uh, stress, you know, those things that we have to work on that we're not probably or that we don't realize, but that it's not a specialized thing. Right. I I want us to consider that it is not. Um, So let me just ask you this question. Sure. So let's say we're in a drought, right? And it starts raining. Mm -hmm. You're going to be really happy, right? Absolutely. Okay. So what if it keeps raining and it keeps raining and a month goes by and it keeps raining? I'm going to just be used to rain and take it for granted, probably. Right. And so what happens to the crops if it rains for three months straight? Not a good thing. Right. Six months straight. It's getting worse. Okay. So why then do we think we're supposed to be happy all the time? There is nothing in nature that is a constant like that, right? We're happy. We're sad. Things happen. We're disappointed. You know, it's experience life for what it is. There is an ebb and flow. There is a season for everything, right? When people feel, yeah, I I was talking to a colleague who experienced the death of, of one of his mentors. It was very difficult for him. And he was trying very hard to not express emotion. I said, no, it's not about that. You want to allow the emotions to come up, right? And to acknowledge them. You can't heal something you're unwilling to look at and know that it's going to hit you in waves, right? So you're, you'll go through your process, you'll cry, you'll do your thing. And then maybe six months will go by and you're like, I'm over this. I'm great. And then something will happen, trigger a memory and you'll feel that wave again. And then when this happens, sometimes the person may go, oh my gosh, you know, maybe I'm depressed. No, this is a natural ebb and flow of you processing that grief. What society says is processing grief is not correct right? Who am I to tell you how you are to process, right? The grief of this person, you know? So the challenge is that we need to understand actually what a process is, what it is to allow something to move through you without getting stuck in you. So depression, for example, would be allowing something to get stuck in you and ruminating on that, right? Right. Because Mm -hmm. that does not pass. So it's it's I think it's just important for us to understand that we have to get to a place where we look at the root cause of things and that we become cultivators of our own mind. Right. So if you have a garden at some point, you have to walk out there sometimes and take a look at it and see, uh oh, there's some weeds coming up or there's some moles or some rabbits you know, are, are in there. We got some ants or something, right? If you just leave the garden alone, who knows what's going to come in there every once in a while, though, if you walk up and down, you know, and all around and take a look, if there's a challenge, then you can kind of pull those, you know, those roots, those uh, weeds up at the root, right? And it will take some time, but you will have a very beautiful, vibrant garden. And our minds are like that too. We have to once in a while kind of take a walk through there, you know, is this my thought or is this a thought that I picked up? And you, we pick up stuff all the time. I know you've had the experience of going into a store and then you walk out of the store and you're like, dang it, I got that song stuck in my head now. 
Yeah. Now that song's in you're like, oh, <laughs> song is stuck in my head, right? Yeah. Um, I had this realization a while back because I, I don't watch a lot of television, um, and I, you know, I kind of pop in and out of popular culture. But I found myself one day walking down the street, and all of a sudden, the subway song came into my head, and I'm like, why do I know that a foot long subway is five dollars? I don't <laughs> understand how I know this information. Like, where did that even come from? And it, and it just showed me the power of marketing because a person like me who barely watches TV, it would have to be, you know, the apocalypse, the walking dead, you know, for me to walk into a subway and eat something from there, you know, so that this information is in my mind and playing and playing as if I deliberately put it there was troubling to me, you know? So think about all the ways in which we have things, you know, running through our minds, it's not even us. And we don't even bother to ask the question, you know? So, so these are, these are uh, the levels of awareness that I'm hoping to bring people to. The first thing I, I want folks to do is just, just ask the question, you know, well, how did I get here? Right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of, of the answer. And there may be an ebb and flow. There may be a place where you dip down to, where you feel sad or whatever. But if you don't go there, right, if you don't go to that place, if you don't look at something, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, ignoring a corner in your house. You, if you don't pay attention to it, eventually a spider is going to come in and, you know, start breeding a family. Oh, see, I <laughs> didn't know? need that imagery. Girl. <laughs> well, Look, if it'll get you to pay attention, that's where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I want to talk about, because it's always been interesting. I don't think I really understand why we don't talk about mental health more. I mean, aside from the fact that we don't realize we should be taking a more active role in it, why is there such a stigma around it? Well, you know, it's very interesting. I, it, like I said, it's it's socialized. The stigma is a socialized thing. We glamorize and we celebrate uh, actions that contribute to challenges that affect us mentally, right? So we celebrate, uh, we have, we talk about the daily grind, right? Um, We talk about the fact that, you know, all of these things are happening and I'm still, you know, I'm still holding down the fort, right? These are, this is celebrated in our culture when it is completely unhealthy. You know, I I see pregnant women going, well, I can do this and do that and do that, even though I'm pregnant. I'm like, well, maybe you could, but is that a good idea? Right. Right. And and, and why are we, yeah. You know, why are we, right. Why are we celebrating the fact that, you know, you can go this far, um, even though you're, you're pregnant, you know? So it's, it's very, very interesting to see how that digression happens. We are so afraid to show any level of vulnerability or uh, inability to um, to perform in a way that is not even humanly possible, <laughs> right? Yeah, showing yeah. weakness is not. Yeah, but there is no person that does not at some point have a a moment that they have to take. They hide it, right? But we it's happening to all of us all the time. Well, it, yeah. I think I think goes to what you were saying about it being socialized for us in media in. marketing and what we see. I mean, you see these perfect people who struggle or they have the dramatized version of the struggle, which gets resolved in in 30 minutes, whatever it is. And so I guess we, we strive to reach those levels because if we're not like that, then there's something wrong with us, I think is where 
our minds go and where society goes. And we say it all the time to children. When children do something wrong, I, I try to correct people when I hear them say this. They Instead of saying, what did you do? You know, or what made you think to do that? We say, what's wrong with you? Right. And that's just a horrible thing to say yeah. to a child. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. But it, but we say we say it so quickly, you know, rather than focusing on the behavior. What made you think to do that? You know, why would you do that? Right. But what's wrong with you? That that has a whole different connotation to it. So there's just a lot that we are doing subconsciously. And that's what contributes to the stigma. And, and, and it's not going to change until we really become more conscious of what we're about to do, why we're about to do it, what we're about to say, why we're about to say it and question what's happening. You know, so if it is sim- something simple like a headache, instead of just reaching for something, just go, wait a minute. Maybe I just need to go outside real quick. Right. You know? What's the reason behind it that could? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just need to eat. You know, I haven't eaten all day. Drink water. Uh, yeah. I, I've something. run into the water one, the dehydration yeah. headache um, without realizing yeah. it, that it's not Tylenol that would fix it. It would be drinking some water. Exactly. And, and, and in fact, taking Tylenol is just going to, to toxify your body even more, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I really, I really hope that our conversation will help to raise awareness around that. And, and I'd actually like to talk about some other factors that affect mental health as well, because, you know, it, it's, it helps us to just kind of be on the lookout. So, so you have trauma, and early losses. So for example, if a young child um, lost someone at a young age, you know, when, when they're a, when they're a child and they don't really have the um, a way of processing that, right? They can they can start to, you know, allow their mind to to think in a certain way that may not be true. Right. And it's interesting that our childhoods actually didn't happen the way we thought they happened because they happened from the perspective of our child brain. So one of the uh, techniques that my one of my gurus said to me years ago was you have to go back and revisit all your childhood traumas, but with adult eyes. Right. Huh. And then see it, see it for what it is, see it for what it is, you know, it's, it's very, very powerful um, to do. So trauma and early losses, that can certainly affect mental health, stress, absolutely. And, uh, and chemical imbalances, which could be triggered by chronic conditions, medications, unhealthy food, even food with, you know, heavy metal contaminants, you know, all kinds of things can cause chemical imbalances and that can affect mental health as well. Um, the weather, uh, living in a place that's very cloudy or receives very little sunlight, you know, a lot of people know about the winter blues. Um, so, you know, if those are factors that affect you, you may have to do something. So as an example, I, I lived in Boston for a short period of time and I remember my colleague saying, Phyllis, I promise you the sun is coming out. I'm like, ah, where's the sun? (laughs) You know? And I, and I, it was hard for me to wake up and I said, shoot, I'm gonna have to get me one of those full spectrum bulbs, you know, light bulbs. And I changed all the light bulbs in the, uh, in my apartment. And and that was kind of something that helped me get through because I noticed it automatically. And I didn't realize how much of a sun worshiper I was until my son was taken away from me. (laughs) Right. So, um, so there are some other, um, ways in which, um, or other factors that can affect uh, mental health, such as medical conditions. So um, neurological conditions like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, stroke, hormonal imbalances, that's a huge 
you know, factor autoimmune diseases, viruses, cancer, nutritional deficiencies, especially lack of B12, you know, and in, in men, erectile dysfunction. I mean, all of these can contribute to, um, you know, mental health in one way, shape or form can, um, you know, shift our perspective of, of what we think that, you know, is, uh, it can cause ex- uh, excess stressors. And, and if we have not uh, found a way to take care of those or even be aware of it, you know, some people may not be aware that maybe they're drinking uh, water that is uh, full of uh, contaminants in, in their area. Uh, and, and you know, they're going through something, they're, they're just having a, a reaction to that. It may not be that they're depressed, you know, so it's very interesting. We have to look at that's That's why I say I love Ayurveda and, and naturopathy and Qigong and these these practices, um, these indigenous practices, because they they get us to look at life from a more holistic perspective. You're not going to be affected by just one thing. It could be a combination of things. And when you're looking at issues of mental health, there's always something that's layered on top of something else. So maybe you had a trauma in early loss, and then there was a stress, and then you had to move a few times, and then you got married and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, you look like you have it all together and then you, you know, you feel like you're about to fall apart. Right. But none of those things had the space to be moved or processed within your life. Does that make sense? It does. And and here's the thing with all those factors that you listed, this can affect, it sounds like anyone, everyone, famous people, regular people, yes, Indian people, Chinese people, uh, blacks, whites, Americans, Hispanic, like that's, I don't, think I heard anything that could cut anybody out of this. That accurate? Yes. Thank you for saying that. That's so important. You know, I'm I'm going to say something that sometimes is scary for people to hear, but it's I think it's really important. And it is that with the right stimulus, uh, anyone at any time is pretty much capable of anything. And um and I think that We try to pretend that that is not true, but we've seen too many stories in the news where a person snaps Mm -hmm. and the people that knew the person was like, but you know, he was so quiet. I just, what, I can't believe, you know, um, and, and what I really hope people will understand is if you understand and can accept that then you will take the responsibility, right? You will take the responsibility for your own mental health and say, you know what? I've gone through 10 changes this year. Let me just stop, pause, see how I'm doing, see what needs to be cleaned up before I move forward with something else. You know, it's really important for us to do. Anyone at any time is capable. Every person within the sound of our voices have been the person who has cut somebody off while driving and has been cut off by someone while driving. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And you know, when, when you're being cut off, you're like, what the right. And then when you cut someone off, you're like, Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> right. But we don't think about that when we're in the midst of that emotion. Right. And, and you brought up uh, celebrities and, and I, I like to share you know, I was heartbroken. I had this really interesting experience with uh, Robin Williams. I was house sitting with a friend of mine and 
the person that we were house sitting for, uh, this was years ago, had, was a photographer. And this person had a huge life. I mean, it was ceiling to floor picture of Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting when I walked in, I looked at the picture and I just grabbed my heart and I was like, oh my God, his eyes are so sad. It was like the first thing I thought, you know, and it was something that came through in that picture and he was smiling you know? And so then years later, when, um, you know, when he unfortunately took his life, the first thing that I thought of was that picture that I saw of him. And the second thing I thought was, why don't I know him? I wish I knew him. You know, I wish I knew him because Robin Williams had access to the best medication, the best, uh, you know, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever, counselors, life coaches that money could buy. And yet he still chose to take his life. It's very troubling. It's very troubling to accept that as well as many other celebrities who have, you know, followed suit. Um, but the yeah. fact, of, the fact of the matter is you have to have a strategy. I don't care what kind of medicine you take, what kind of care you're under. If you go to see a psychologist, uh, what are you going to do in between the time that you see the psychologist and you have to see them again. You have to live, right? So how then are you going to choose to live your life? What are you going to do when the medication you've been prescribed wears off, but it's not time to take the new, you know, medication or the next pill? What do you, when are you, what are you going to do? You have to have a strategy and we don't have that conversation. And that is what it keeps me up at night thinking about. You know, so if you say, well, you know, I've got, you know, I have a practitioner that I go to and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what do you do in between that? That's the first thing that, that I say, you know, I'm like, you need a plan. I need you to have a plan. I don't want you to just rely on the psychologist, the counselor, the medication. You cannot, because at some point it will wear off. And when it wears off, everything that you, you know, are attempting to work through is going to come back on you. So you, what are you going to do in those moments? Right. And, and there's so many things that can be done. So I think when people begin to realize that and they build their own what I call self-care toolkit, then you have something right. No one goes to work without their tools. You know, you're not doing a podcast without a microphone. Right. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. Exactly. Right. So what are your mental health tools? And everyone needs to develop some kind of toolkit for themselves. So to kind of as we kind of get closer to the end, what can people do to help develop that self care toolkit? Well, I have some strategies that I'd like to share, but what I'd like to say is when you, when you hear what these strategies are, I want you to take into consideration who you are as a person, you know? So this, it, there's, there's a, there's a, a lot to say about knowing yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you, you have to, you have to take the strategies and go, okay, well, this is how I behave. So I probably will tweak it for this particular reason. So with that said, I'm going to offer several, a couple of strategies that you can think of. So the first thing is develop a mental wellness self-care toolkit, which is based on your unique personality and tendencies. Get a friend to help you if possible. Um, and your and know that your self-care toolkit has to have counter strategies that, um, that help you when you become triggered or you begin to feel like you're off center. So some suggestions could be, um, maybe it's a friend that you call, 
Um, maybe it's having some positive affirmations around the house or with you at all times. Maybe it's a trigger where you take a walk outside for a, a few minutes, um, preferably in nature, which would be great. Maybe it's doing a breathing exercise or a relaxing exercise. Maybe it's just questioning, hey, um, is this really what I think it is? Or have I been triggered by something in my past? Because a lot of times when if a person says something to you and you get really upset, oftentimes it's like 10% what the person said and 90% something that happened to you in the past that you actually haven't processed, but that person or that experience has triggered, right? So develop a toolkit that's based on that and, and have something that you can immediately go to. That's really important. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is have a non-negotiable daily practice. You've got to have a daily practice. It doesn't matter exactly what it is because it will, it will uh, evolve over time. But a suggestion that I will give is when you get up in the morning, before you check your cell phone, before you check the news, before you text, email, before you do anything, you check in with yourself, right? Check in with yourself. Take a couple of slow, deep breaths. Feel where, how you feel. What do you feel in your body? Do you feel any pain? Do you need to stretch? What, whatever the case may be, check in with yourself. Tell yourself the truth about who you are in that moment, right? And from that place, set your intention for the day. And then you can, you know, do your other things. Watch, you know, check your tech mess text messages or whatever the case may be. But never reach for that without first checking in with your own self. That's a good point. Yeah, very important and hard for people to do, but once you start doing it, you'll um, you'll, you'll definitely unplug from the matrix, so to speak. <laughs> so That's a good analogy. Yeah, right, I'm just keeping it real, girl. Uh, <laughs> so number three is really important. When in pain, reframe, right? When in pain, Reframe. Tell yourself the truth about what is actually happening. Allow your eyes to be windows and not projectors. See what's there. So in an example of that is if I say I am sad, that's not true. What is true is I feel sad. There's a difference. I am Phyllis, but I feel sad right? It sounds like not a big deal, but it's a huge deal because you have to disassociate your identity from the feeling, right? I can't stand the pain. That's not true. I can barely stand the pain. That is true because if you couldn't stand the pain, you'd be incapacitated, right? So tell the truth and then allow yourself to breathe into those feelings, right? Thoughts about the past are not real because the past is dead right? Thoughts about the future are not real because no one knows the future. So drop the unreal thoughts by acknowledging that they're not real and then practicing one of the exercises, right? Mm -hmm. You know, breathing exercises or something from your self-care toolkit. A lot has to do with just stop and just take a moment, right? And just see if you're, are your eyes windows or projectors? Just check, check in with yourself, right? Know the difference between the two. So number four is a pain release exercise. So I'm going to just kind of talk through it really quickly. It's very short. Okay. It's, it's just a relaxing breathing exercise that you do. And, uh, or maybe we can just, uh, practice it really quick. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so basically 
if you're sitting up, if you're listening to the podcast, you want to sit up straight, pull your shoulders up, back and down and place your hand over your heart. Or maybe you can place your fingertips together. Um, either is great or whatever feels comfortable to you. And then as you take a couple of slow, deep breaths in and out, I want you to, to begin to listen for the sound of your heartbeat. Right. So we'll just do that for a quick second and then I'll move on to the next part of the exercise. And then I'd like to say that if you don't feel or hear your heartbeat, you're still alive. No problem. Uh, <laughs> it just means that you uh, might be a bit disconnected from yourself. But as you are listening to the sound of your heartbeat, you're bringing yourself back to reality to what's really happening in the moment, because your heartbeat is something that's happening in the present moment. And then reframe whatever is going on so that they reflect reality. Remembering that you're not your pain, but you feel it, right? right. Acknowledge what's real and then search your body for where you think the pain is located. So now you're listening to your heartbeat, you're breathing and something has upset you. Maybe you feel it in your gut. Maybe your, your toes are throbbing, whatever it is, you know, in your mind, search for that spot, right? And then as you take a slow, deep breath in, you're going to hold the breath for a few seconds and then you're going to release. And then you're going to bring your attention to that spot of the pain and you're going to repeat that process, breathing in, hold the breath for a few seconds and then release. And you, re you repeat that until the pain shifts. It may not stop, but you'll notice a definite shift, right? This is a very important process, very, very important. And if you can do it immediately uh, in the midst of pain, that would be great. But even if you do it later, it's very, very helpful um, for just helping you to, to process correctly and also to move stress that is being lodged within your physical body. And then the last uh, suggestion that I have is please, please, please in your daily life, do your very best to avoid knee-jerk reactions at all costs. And the best way to do this is to remember to breathe and then pause before you speak. Breathe, pause, and then speak. When someone says something that irritates you, you want to jump in right quick, don't do it. <laughs> That's Breathe, great advice. Pause, and then speak. And then do the same thing for acting. Breathe, pause before acting, right? Breathe, pause, and then choose your thoughts. We may think that our thoughts are randomly infecting us, but if we slow down long enough, we'll realize that we are actually choosing our thoughts. And if a thought is yours to choose, why not choose an empowering thought, right? That's a good one. Yeah. So those are some steps that you can take and they don't cost any money, right? Um, they can be done at any time, but as the great Bruce Lee said, I don't fear the one who has uh, practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the one who practices one kick 10,000 times, right? So the power is in the practice. You must practice, 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 practice. Someone says something to you, you knee-jerk react. In that moment, go, oops, okay, no judgment. Okay, now I now I know what a knee-jerk reaction is. Let me next time I'll remember to breathe first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. I absolutely. mean, that's how it is. That's it. You practice, 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 practice. And in time, you will just you will just be amazed at how your life uh, can change. Phyllis, thank you so much for 
the tools to help with self-care for explaining mental health to us and just why it's important to take care of it and ourselves. And just, you know, just as you helped me last year in changing my perspective on, on how I view the things I need to work on, I was going to say faults, <laughs> things I need to work on. Um, I think you have helped me as well as others who are listening kind of change their perspective on mental health. And hopefully more of you guys will have these conversations and you can find these tips and all by rewinding or on the show notes page. We'll have them listed out because I think it's very important for you guys to do what she said, practice it daily. Practice, practice, practice. Yes. And if you don't mind, if you have a second, I would love to leave you with three of my favorite truisms. Yes, please. This is, this is dedicated to the fabulous, the amazing, the beautiful, the talented Amy J. Okay. <laughs> Truism number one, accept it, girl, just accept it. Okay. <laughs> you can see me Truism, Truism number one, you have the choice and the power to change your life. Truism number two, you have the wisdom and ability to achieve and maintain radiant health. And truism number three, there is no bad part of you, only parts of you yearning for love, acceptance, or transmutation. That was deep. That's for you, girl. That was deep. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Phyllis. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for, for just bringing this to light and, and sharing it with your audience. I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. And guys, that was Dr. Phyllis Hubbard, a.k.a. Dr. Phil. She is awesome. Did she clarify mental health a little bit more for you? Do you understand it just a little bit better than you did before you even listened to this episode? Because I know I did. I know she did it for me. It's still an ongoing process. I had to listen to this episode again. I had to read the show notes page because... It is an ongoing process and it's a lot, you know, for someone who doesn't didn't talk about mental health before to know all of this, to understand that this is affecting me day in and day out, as well as everyone around me. Um, it's not going to be something that that clicks in one day in one podcast. listening. it's not. I mean, there's a whole month for mental health awareness. OK. But I wanted you to take away from this the fact that mental health is not and should not be a stigma. It should not be something we run away from. It's, it should be something we embrace. It's something that we should help normalize. Okay. So go out, re-listen to this episode, read the show notes, practice the actions she shared. Okay. And remember, it's going to be a day-to-day ongoing process and share this episode in particular. I know I don't say it often, but if you could share this episode with your network, share this with the people around you, because I think it's an important topic. It's one that we all need to embrace mental health and it's one that we shouldn't be shying away from. Okay. So re-listen to the episode, find the show notes page over at amyj21.com slash episode 140. That's episode 140. And you guys can learn about Dr. Phil, more about the work she is doing, more about the steps that she talked about in the episode and more. Okay. So go check that out. And until next time, guys, you guys keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to chasing dreams. 
Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.